Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. We've been in Israel for the last 30 years and uh, have uh, been instrumental in founding a congregation on the top of Mount Carmel that sprung out of a drug and alcohol rehabilitation center that had been planted there. And uh, we're, we're a community of faith reaching out to both Jews and Arabs. And we've seen tremendous things happen in the land of Israel. It's been a real privilege to have been called by God to be a part of this generation Really, uh, you know, the first generation of Christians in 2,000 years to be able to, to visit Israel and to serve in Israel. And then on top of that, to see the gospel of the kingdom going back to the Jewish people and to be part of building a, a visible uh, community. You know, the, vis- the communities of, of Israelis following Yeshua as their Lord and their Savior, the King of Israel, are uh, coming above the surface in our land again. The last time this happened, they wrote about it in the book of Acts. So we, uh, I, I want to bring you some of this good news, but I would also like to invite you to come and visit our land. Uh, but make sure that when you come, there's some way that you can come in contact with the local believing community, that you meet with Messianic Jews and you meet with Arab Christians and you begin to understand the land through the eyes of the local people, not just as a pilgrim, not just as a tourist. There's something life-changing about it. I've written uh, a few books about it. Some of these books are, are available uh, after the service. If you're, interesting, you, if you're interested, you can, you can check them out. But this session, I'd like to talk to you about what does Israel show us? How, how, what do we learn about God's faithfulness from this fact of the people of Israel being back in their land after so long, after 2,000 years? You know, it starts with an understanding of what is truly prophetic. And this is, this is kind of a, a, a touchy subject because uh, in, in some parts of the Christian world, that word prophecy can be used for just about anything. You know, I had a prophetic dream. I played prophetically on a musical instrument. I waved a prophetic banner. Uh, I cooked a prophetic meal, you know, I wore a prophetic shirt. I mean, you're laughing because you know kind of what I'm talking about, right? You know, and the problem is when, when everything can be called prophecy, the reverse actually becomes true, that nothing really truly is. And so for the purposes of this message, what I'd like to do is redefine prophecy, and I'm going to call it prophecy with a capital P, okay? Prophecy with a capital P is when God says he will do something in the scriptures. I mean, when he goes on record in writing, as it were, he says in the, in the Bible, I'm going to do this, and then he does it. So you have these two elements, okay? God's word in scripture, where God says, I will do this, and then his actions in human history. And when those come together, when there's this convergence of those two things, at that point, you have this event, and that event is prophecy with a capital P. The greatest example of this kind of event, of course, is the incarnation of Jesus. You know, what made Jesus so important wasn't just that he did miracles. It wasn't just that he had great words to share. What made him really important to the people who who walked with him and got to know him 
What made him really important was that he was fulfilling prophecy everywhere he turned. In fact, there are some Bibles you can buy with the prophecies that were fulfilled by the life of Jesus underlined, and there's, I think there's over 200 direct prophecies of Scripture that were fulfilled in his life. And so we begin to see that, that Jesus himself was a prophetic event. Okay, so there's these two elements. What God says in the Bible, what God does in our world, and the third element is revelation. I mean, many people saw Jesus with their own eyes. Many people heard him with their own ears and walked away unconvinced. And what, why? Because they lacked that third essential ingredient. It's revelation. Revelation to understand who he was. Now, Jesus taught the people of his day in this way. He brought them into this, this place of, of prophecy, the fulfillment of prophecy, and in the convergence of what God said in his word with his actions. And I'd like to give you an example of this in Luke chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4, you have the, the account of Jesus' first sermon in his hometown of Nazareth. All right. Now, you know that Jesus was not born in Nazareth. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Why was he born in Bethlehem? His parents weren't from Bethlehem. Bethlehem is all the way south in the Jerusalem area. Nazareth is in the north of the country. Okay, that's where they lived. So why was he born in Bethlehem? Well, you can say the Romans had a census, the different historical elements, but essentially to fulfill the prophecy because the Bible had already said the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Okay, so he was born in Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy. His, his mother was a virgin when she became pregnant with him to fulfill the prophecy. But he didn't grow up in Bethlehem because his parents lived in Nazareth. Okay, so he, after he, when he was very young, they took him up to Nazareth and he lived there until he was about 30 years of age. The Bible says that at the age of about 30, he turned the water into wine in Cana. Cana is a, it, um, like a suburb of Nazareth. I mean, it's really close. If you drive it, it's like less than five minutes in your car. Okay, so, so he turned the water into wine in Cana. And after that, he left Nazareth and went a full day's walk, about 45 minutes, 50 minutes on the highway by car today. He went out to the Sea of Galilee and he made a town called Capernaum his headquarters for more than three years. When he got to Capernaum, he began to call disciples and he began to perform many astounding miracles. He was multiplying food for the masses. He was walking on the surface of the water. He would heal the sick. The blind would see. The lame would walk. And immediately, as soon as he began this ministry, news about him went like electricity through the country. It had been hundreds of years since there had been a prophetic visitation in Israel by the time Jesus came on the scene. The people were hungry for the word of God. There was a famine for the word of God. And now all of a sudden, this man is on the scene doing these incredible miracles and proclaiming that the kingdom of God had come. Thousands began to follow him, and then it was tens of thousands. They came from all over the north of Israel. They came from what is today Lebanon. They came in from what is today Syria. They came from what is today Jordan. The entire region was buzzing about the news that God had raised up a great prophet in the north of Israel. And how long do you think it took for that news to get back to his, where he'd grown up in Nazareth? Well, about a day, because right? it's about a day's walk from the Sea of Galilee to Nazareth. Okay, in one day, 
they were started to hear, great prophet has arisen in the Galilee. Signs and wonders. This, who could this be? Maybe the Messiah. God is visiting his people again. Now, I think the people of Nazareth thought, how can this be? Who, you know, I mean, who is, who is this man? What is his name? And, and they, were, they were told, well, haven't you heard? You must be the only people in Israel who haven't heard. Okay? His name is, what well, we would say in Hebrew, Yeshua, Yeshua Minatzeret. Jesus, it's Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. I think the people of Nazareth probably said, what? What? Really, are you sure? You mean our Jesus? How can that be? He was so normal when he lived here. <laughs> you know, I mean, look, my, my kids grew up with him. Okay, they went to school with him. We lived down the block from him. Listen, Jesus had lived in Nazareth, which was a town. Couldn't have been more than a couple thousand people. He'd lived there for almost 30 years. Everybody knew him. They knew him personally. We lived down the block from him. Uh, that's nothing. My parents bought furniture from his parents. Okay? Everybody knew him. How, how, how can he be the great prophet? Maybe the Messiah. And so in Luke chapter 4, you have the account of what happened when Jesus comes back to the town where he grew up to preach in their synagogue. All right? And I want to tell you this story. Okay? Luke chapter 4. Here's what it says. Verse 16. He came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he'd opened the book, he found this place. Now, look, synagogue worship has not changed much since those days until now. Okay, what happens in the synagogue is they, they revere the word of God. If you've ever been to a Jewish synagogue, I mean, even today, they'll bring in the scrolls of the scriptures from the back, and the people will touch their lips and put their hand on the scrolls as a sign of reverence, okay, for the word of God. They bring the scrolls to the front, and they'll have, uh, on the platform, they'll have a, a larger table. They unroll the scroll, and it's a great honor to be invited to the front to read the portion for that day. We have portions of the scripture. They read through the first five books of the Bible in one year. And then there's always, always a reading from the prophets. Okay, so, and it's an honor to be, to be invited to stand and to read the portion. But it's an even greater honor to, after that, be invited to preach about that portion that, of the scriptures that were read. And Jesus on that day was honored to do both. Okay, in those days, you stood to read. Okay, they had a big table. They unrolled the scroll. They give you this silver pointer because you don't want to touch the actual parchment of the scroll because it might leave a mark. They give you a silver pointer. You read the scriptures, but when it came time to preach, they sat. It's a good idea when you have long sermons, okay? <laughs> they sat in what is called the seat of Moses, which is also, you know, Mentioned, mentioned in the scriptures. Okay, so in those days, Jesus comes into the hometown synagogue. Now listen, that synagogue was jammed with people. Jammed with people. Everybody in town went to synagogue on that day, even the kind of people that only went once or twice a year, you know, on Christmas and Easter. That's a, that's a joke. Okay, so the synagogue, why is it jammed? The big question, the big question. Who are you, Okay. Who are you? Explain. We thought we knew you. We thought we knew you. What's all? The, what's this news? The great prophet, the miracles. Okay, explain. What happened to you after graduation? You know, you know. They want. They want to know. So everybody's jammed into the synagogue. The whole town basically is there. Okay, and he gets up to read. Here's what he read, verse 18. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, recover sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He read what we now know as the first verses of Isaiah chapter 61. Of course, in those days, they had no chapters or verses. That's where they were in the scriptures. But everybody in that synagogue, they knew exactly what those scriptures were about. That's about the Messiah. That's what the Messiah will do when the Messiah comes. Okay, now to make it as clear to you today here in Bromley, as it was to them 2,000 years ago in Nazareth, I have to teach you a little bit of Hebrew. Are you ready for that? It's not too early, is it? Okay, no, 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 don't worry. It's, it's easy, it's easy. Just listen, okay? Here's what it sounds like in Hebrew. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Ruach Adonai Alai. Ruach, the breath, the wind. Ruach Adonai, the wind, the breath of Adonai. Now listen, we use the word Adonai to replace the actual name of God because the actual name of God is too holy to pronounce. Okay, so if you look at the actual text of the Bible, it's the name of God, the four-letter name of God, but it's too holy, so we replace it with the word Adonai, which means Lord. Okay, but it says the Ruach, the breath of God himself is upon me. And the second, second phrase, for he has anointed me, listen, Yan Mashach Adonai Oti. Okay, Yan Mashach, the, the, the verb in that sentence, Mashach. Mashach. Everybody say that. Mashach. No, no, no. Not mashach. Mashach. You have to spit at somebody to say this right. right? Mashach. Okay. 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 It, it means he anointed. He anointed. You're saying God himself. Adonai. Mashach me. Okay. Mashach me. Okay. Now look in Hebrew. If Adonai mashach you. Okay. What should we call you? Mashiach. Okay, if you are anointed by God, you are the one anointed, right? The Hebrew word for the one who is anointed is Mashiach, from which we get the word Messiah. Okay, so really a better translation in English would be, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has made me Messiah. That's what he read to them. And he told, and the scripture says, this is what the Messiah will do. He'll heal the brokenhearted, etc., set the captives free. He makes the messianic proclamation, okay? Now, look, now look at the next verse. Verse 20, he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Okay, now he's ready to preach. He sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Okay? What what is he going to say now? Why are they in the synagogue? The big question. Explain the news we've been hearing every week, every month. The great prophet, you know, all these reports explain, okay? Answer the question. He reads the messianic prophecy. They want to know what he's going to say. And here's what he says, verse 21. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Okay? What is he doing? He's saying, listen, the reports you've heard about me, they're true. And what do they point to? It's prophecy with a capital P, okay? This isn't some accidental thing, okay? This is, this is prophecy with the big P. What do they need? Revelation. Revelation, okay? Now listen. They sat in that little room, some of them closer to, to, to him than some of you are sitting to me. 
But that day, they didn't have a visiting Bible teacher speaking to them. That day, they had the Son of God. Okay, so they sat a few meters away from him. They looked at his face. They heard his voice. Jesus himself explained the scriptures to them. You would have thought, they all got it, right? You'd think they, they all got it. But the answer is no. Almost all of them missed it. Actually, they liked that part of his sermon. Someone said he should have stopped there and taken an offering. <laughs> they didn't like the rest of his sermon. All right. Afterwards, they threw him out. Okay? They wanted to kill him. And passing through their midst, he went on his way. Okay? One of the saddest things. They, they looked at the face of the Son of God, and they didn't get it. That's how important revelation is. When you need revelation, when God does something that, that fulfills his word, even though you're looking right at it, you need to ask the Lord, oh God, open the eyes of my heart. They missed it. What did they miss? The greatest event of their day. The greatest event of their lives. They missed the kingdom of God. They missed salvation. They missed everything. Okay, that's how important revelation is. Okay, now I've used about half of my time and that's my introduction. <laughs> because now I want to talk to you about Israel. Israel, this event of Israel, has been in our news virtually every day, every week, every month for almost 70 years. It's been on our television screens. It's been on our newspapers. There's been so much controversy surrounding Israel in the news for the last decade or more that just we can say confidently just about everybody in the world by now should know Israel is back. Even if all they know about Israel is that it's the little country in the Middle East that causes all the trouble. <laughs> but because of the news coverage of Israel, everybody in the world seems like they have to make a decision. Are you for Israel or are you against Israel? Okay, and there are arguments on both sides and it goes back and forth. But listen, we are the people of God. Okay, there should be some, some truth that helps us to understand what is Israel as the people of God. And so we want to turn to the scriptures. What does the Bible say about Israel? And can we understand that there's a convergence between what God has said in the scriptures, the commitments he's made in writing, and his actions in history? So I'd like to take you to one of the dozens and dozens of scriptures in our Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that speak about Israel. And I've chosen one from the prophet Ezekiel. Well, actually, the reason is because it's easy to teach. It's, it's very simple. It's logical. It's straightforward. So I'm going to read you two or three verses from Ezekiel chapter 36. And just, just listen to this. This is Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22. Here's what God says. He says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. Verse 23, And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations will know that I am the Lord when I do this holy thing with you in their eyes. 
Now, in these two verses, verse 22 and verse 23, God is saying a number of things in the inspired scriptures. He's speaking directly to Israel. And he's saying, look, Israel, I'm going to do something powerful with you, and the whole world is going to see it. I think we'll understand from the context of these verses, this is not something God intends to do in a corner. He's not going to do this in secret. He says, get ready, Israel. I'm going to do something with you. Everyone's going to see it. But from the start, Israel, I want you to understand this. It is not for your sake that I'm going to do this. It is not because you are superior in some way, because you're not superior. It's not because you deserve this, because you don't deserve this. It's, it's not for your virtuous qualities. This is not some type of divine favoritism or some type of biblical racism. God says, it's not about you, Israel, really. It's not for your sake. Rather, God says, it's for my great name's sake. Isn't that what it says? Okay. There's a reason why I'm going to do this with you, Israel. It's about me. It's about my identity, it's about my character, and it's about my reputation. And then in verse 23, he goes on, he says, And then when I do this with you, Israel, the chief beneficiaries of this thing I'm going to do, it's not even you. Because in verse 23, he says, And then the nations will know that I am the Lord. He says, The people who will benefit will be the other nations of the world. When they see me do this with you, then the nations will know that I'm the Lord. Now, if you were a part of Israel and God said these things to you, I think at this point you'd be justified in asking God a question. Lord, what is this great thing you're going to do with us that's not about us, it's really about who you are, and, and somehow when you do it, it's going to convince the nations, the unbelieving nations, that you are the Lord. What is this great thing you're going to do? I think if we'd asked God that question at this point, he might have smiled and said, good question. Because he answers it in the next verse. I'm going to read to you the next verse, verse 24. Here's what God says. This is what I'm going to do. I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Now, that little verse is so straightforward, so simple, in English or any other language that it's translated into, I personally believe you'd have to be a great theologian to get it wrong. I mean, seriously, only, only a real expert in the Bible, okay, could somehow twist the arm of that little verse to make it say what it doesn't say, all right? The rest of us are just going to have to stick with the plain meaning of the words. God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to gather you from all the nations. That's plural. That's many nations. It's not just about Babylon, which is historically one nation for a limited period of time take you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Okay, now the amazing thing was that even though these words were written thousands of years ago, God chose our day to do this. We are the chosen generation who get to see this with our own eyes. We're the first Christians in 2,000 years that can visit a nation called Israel, the homeland of the Jewish people. We're the first Christians in 2,000 years that today, if you visit Israel, you can find your way into a messianic congregation where they are worshiping Jesus as Lord. And they're calling him Yeshua, the Messiah, and the King of Israel. The last time this happened, they wrote about it in the book of Acts, but you get to see it with your own eyes. Okay, I'm saying to you, 
that this is prophecy with a big P. Okay, it's been in our news. It's been on our television sets. Been in, I mean, it's, it's, it's shaken the politics of the world, okay? And here we have like, the word of God, okay? My job is to bring this into convergence for you. So you see these two things together, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to give you revelation, okay? Revelation, okay? Remember how it was when you got revelation about Jesus, up until the day you get revelation about Jesus, it's, you might read the Bible, people tell you about him, but he's a, he's a person who lived long ago and very far away. But on the day you got revelation, bang, okay? You're in the picture, okay? It's not you're looking at him, now you're in the picture, you're participating with him. You read the Sermon on the Mount, after you have revelation, you're sitting on the grass, right? He's talking to you, okay? It's not like some distant, disconnected thing. So it is with Israel. So it is with, when God moves, you need to say, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. Help me to see this in the Spirit. Help me to see. And then it opens up, and this picture becomes your garden. And you realize, wow, in a way, he did this for me. Knowing that I would come along as a Christian 2,000 years after Jesus, but I would need this. My people would need this. My church would need this. I need to enter in. This is, this is an act of God to prepare the church, I personally believe, for the last great move of God before the return of the Lord. It's a revelation that is intended to, to strengthen us and to open the doors of his kingdom. Okay, briefly. God is speaking to the world through this event. This is a, a communication from God. Okay? Because he says, I want, the, I want the nations to know that I'm the Lord. So he's communicating through this event. What do you suppose he's saying? Well, I believe there are many things, but there is really one thing I want to leave with you because I believe it's the most important. What God is saying through this event is very simple, it's clear, but it's very, very powerful if you get a hold of it. He's saying, I am the faithful God. I am the God who keeps covenant. I'm the God that when I make a promise to anyone, I will never, ever, 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 ever break my word. Jesus said, heaven and earth may pass away. My words will never pass away. Isaiah wrote, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. God says, everyone knows who reads the Bible, even casually, I made a promise to Israel. I promised they would be a nation. I promised they would have a land. In the word of God, it says, this is an everlasting promise throughout all generations. But everybody also knows they've been scattered for 2,000 years. And they didn't have a land. And they didn't have a government. And they, they didn't have a, a presence in the world. And during that time, my name was profaned because every enemy of God was able to say, ha, 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 what kind of a God could you be? Now, why is this so important for Christians? I'll explain. You and I as Christians, what makes us Christians is we are a covenant people with the same God. And when we sit in the house of God and we break the bread and we drink from the little cup, really, what are we doing? We're remembering Jesus and thanking him for what he did for us. But in fact, you're renewing the covenant. You're renewing the covenant. You're saying, I stand in covenant relationship with the living God. Because 
my Savior's body was broken. Because his blood was shed, my sins are covered. Okay, and that enables me to stand in right relationship with the Holy God. All right, that's what you're saying. And in that, in the, in that relationship, God made promises to us. We have a covenant relationship with God. In our covenant, he promised us things. He said, if you believe in your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. He said in his covenant to us, one of the promises, if any of us sin and we confess our sin, he's faithful and righteous to forgive our sin. That's a good promise, don't you think? But it's an integral part of our covenant. Let me ask you this morning. Prove to me that the God that you trust, the God that you worship, will keep his promises to you. How do you know he's faithful? Where's your evidence? I'll tell you this morning. You've got evidence, and the evidence is Israel. God is saying to the world, I never break my word. I never break my word. If I make a promise, when I make a covenant, I will always, always, always remain faithful. Now, we're here because God has made a covenant with us through Jesus, his son. We're here Because there are things that we're still asking him to fulfill in our lives. There's there's destiny. There's a promise for each one of us. There's a design and a plan that God made for each person that he has called before that person was born. There's a promise. There's a destiny that God will fulfill in those who stand before him. How do you enter into that promise? By faith in the faithful God. And so he's moved to show his faithfulness to all the world. And I've come as his witness to tell you that these things are taking place in our lives, in our world. We invite you to come and see with your own eyes, touch with your own hands, understand that this God is alive in this world and he's still keeping his promises. And what he has promised us as Christians, he will fulfill. And what he has promised you personally, he will do. Nothing will stop God. What we need to do is we need to say, Lord, I understand you are a faithful God. I believe that you're a faithful God. And I'm asking you to fulfill your promises in my life. Israel is that signal to the nations, the fulfillment of God's promises, the fulfillment of God's word, the faithfulness of his character. That's what he's projecting to each one of us through his faithfulness to Israel. And I believe that this is a signal that each one of us can see, we can understand, and we can embrace. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to pray that God will give you revelation that he'll open the eyes of your hearts and you'll understand that the God who brought Israel back as a nation from the dead after 2,000 years and the same God that is beginning to raise up a messianic witness in that land that there are Israeli Jews and Israeli Arabs who together will make the statement, Jesus is Lord and his kingdom is coming. It's being restored to the land of Israel today. That same God is the God who's made covenant with you through the blood of his son. And I want to challenge you that today you would turn towards this God and you'd say, Lord, 
The promises that you've made to me, I want to see them take place in my life. The plans that you have made for Israel, you've been faithful to bring them to pass over a period of thousands of years. But for me, Lord, will you watch over your word in my life to perform it? Will the plan that you've made for me, will you, will you show the same faithfulness to me? And I'm here to tell you that if you put your hand in the hand of the Lord, he will fulfill that promise to you. So please pray with me for just a moment. Lord, I want to thank you for the witness of Israel. It's You've moved in a massive way in our generation to show your faithfulness to the world, to communicate your covenant-keeping nature. You will never, never, nothing will stop you from keeping every promise you've made. And we also, Lord, we're a covenant people. We have a covenant with you. Lord, we need, to, we need to see in each of us personally, we need to see the fulfillment of your promises. Will you speak to our hearts? Will you help us by revelation to see you active in our world today, but also active in our personal lives? While I'm praying, let me ask you a question as we remain in prayer for just a moment. How many of you are waiting for God to fulfill a promise in your life. And today, you'd like to just say, Lord, I'm waiting upon you. I'm I'm trusting in your faithfulness. If you'll raise your hand, I want to pray for you. So many of you. So many of you. So many of you. Okay, you can put your hands down. All right, now, I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. Open your heart. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray over you. But you know what? What I say right now, it's not so important. What really is important is what you say in your heart to the Lord right now. You remind him of that promise. You say, Lord, I'm going to do my part. I will stand in faith before you. Work out your plan in my life. All right, Father, we just thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you're a covenant-keeping God. We thank you that you will never allow even one of your words to fall to the ground. We thank you that... Heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will never pass away. We thank you for the promise. We thank you for the covenant-keeping nature. We thank you for the destiny that you have in each one of your children. And so now, Lord, I pray, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come in each of us, in each of us, in our families and in our community, just the way you've purposed in heaven. I want to agree with every person in this house who's relying on you and calling upon you to keep your promise. And we thank you, Lord. Seal this in us so that it can never be taken away. Plant this as a seed of truth in our life that will, in time, bear fruit 30 times, 60 times, even 100 times. We pray this in the name of Jesus.